good. Thanks. Thanks, Luke, so much. I appreciate that. How dare you say I ever fall? I never fall. No, I, I do quite a bit. And, and um, it's a beautiful day. I was out this morning. In the, the water's warming up. It really is. Talk about a great Memorial Day weekend. And to be with you, uh, I'm really excited. And Luke, I would have lent you my hat, except for I just got this off eBay. It's a vintage, vintage hat. It still smells like cigarette smoke, like profoundly. And it might be haunted. I don't know. So I'm, I, I appreciate Bill stepping in and making sure a visor, at least a visor, is taken care of. Okay, it's great to be with you. It's a beautiful morning. And Todd already preached on this passage last week. So this is easy for me. This is like all the heavy lifting he did. And so um, I, this message is going to be light. It's going to be light and breezy, I hope, but also profound. And I want to start off um, asking everyone to do something for me. And I'm really serious. I'm not just saying this. This isn't like a sermon starter and work the crowd, get people engaged. I really mean this. Pretend for a moment, if you're able, pretend for a moment that you have a like half hour window of time, a half hour window of time right now to truly and profoundly be free of some things that maybe you need to be free of. Like you have a half hour window to introspect. And after this half hour, you will never be able to introspect again. It's, it's set, it's good. You have half an hour, and this isn't true, you have your whole life. But I, just, I mean it, like think for a second if I said, because we get in habits of it's Sunday morning, I'm at the beach, I'm chilling, little, it relaxes me, it calms me down, gets me away from my phone, I'm watching the waves, hearing some sermon, falling asleep a little bit, waking up, hearing more sermon, this can get very common. I just want to make it uncommon for a minute. Like imagine, like truly right now, you have a half hour window to kind of open the rib cage of your soul and say, Lord, take something out that needs to be taken out. Sand something down, chip something out, please. Okay, so with that posture, I want to ask you a question. Is there a lie, a label, or an overturned law that you are living to? Is there a lie, big or small, a label, maybe it's a nice label, someone gave you well-intentioned label, maybe it's a really nasty label that someone has given you or you've given yourself, or an overturned law that is something that you do not have to do, you do not have to perform to, you do not have to clench your fists, grit your teeth, and soldier on to the march of that law, but you do anyway. Is there a lie, a label, or an overturned law that you are living with or to? Shackles that you are dragging or being dragged by. And I don't care if you're 17 or 77. This is your half hour. This is your moment. Like, is there something inside of you, a lie, a label, or an overturned law? Okay, that's the framework. And what I'd like to do is for the first five to 15 minutes, go a bit professorial. Todd already preached on this sermon, so I'm not gonna walk you through 
each step of Romans 7. By the way, a ridiculously complex passage, and one I even talked to my dad this morning, and every time we read it, it's like, I think I have a little bit of a different take on it. Like, it's one of those passages that is like a bit of a Rubik's Cube. It's really complex. So I'm not going to try to solve it for you. And by the way, it's not an equation to be solved or a riddle to be uh, figured out. It is a deep, profound reflection on something important. But I'm not going to try to solve it. Todd already solved it last week. I'm going to just give two sort of illustrations, maybe three, to help us think about what is going on in this passage after we read it. So I'm going to go professorial for the first five to 15 minutes. Let's face it, it'll be the 15. And then I want to shift into our moment, our historical right now. And by the way, this is the moment you have. The past is gone. Newsflash, I know we all know that, but I mean it. The past is gone. It exists in a series of memories, collective or individual, written or oral, but it's gone. The future does not exist. You are right here, you are right now. Presumably you are breathing right now and perceiving and existing. You're real. This thing called reality, it's strange, frightening and wonderful. And you're in it. For half hour, what if we, what if we could change? What if truly, and I mean this, what if something can be different for you in the next season of your life? What if there is a lie, a label, or an overturned law that you have been dragging that can be cut and you could run freer and faster, more playfully and powerfully? Okay, this is it. Now, I'm not going to deliver this. I can't promise that this is going to happen for you. But what if, what if there could truly be something profound going down? All right, so five to 15 minutes, professorial. I've already used about five of those. And then we're going to do like a couple of this little experiment, kind of something a little bit different, okay, to, to collectively and together move into some, some freedom maybe. All right. And it won't be weird. I promise. It, will not, it won't be that weird. Everything I do is a little bit weird, but not that weird. I almost wore my cult outfit, by the way. You know that white one, the white linen, the full white linen? I told Bray today, I want to do the cult leader outfit. And she says, that's not a good idea. What if someone's new here? I'm like, well, it'll be a talking point, a conversation piece. So I didn't do that. So we're already ahead. Before we start, uh, I, I, I want to do something real quickly. Uh, Taylor, Taylor, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling good today? He said, oh, come up here, Taylor, would you? I'm sorry, I didn't prep you for this, but it's better that you don't get any preparation. Taylor, and let's see here. Um, man, I hate to do this, but... George, I know you're watching the kiddos and you got your wife in like a loving embrace over there and you've been doing Saltillo Tile all weekend, but I need you, George, too, okay? Just give George a hand. Give Taylor a hand. I just wanted to give, bring some people up here. Taylor's like one of our insanely awesome pastors and George is just like the guy, the guy, the man. Uh, if you need some financial planning assistance, this is the man right here. Um, he got me into solid Bitcoin. It's been going great. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He did not. That's not true. He's like, great. <laughs> I just lost half my clientele. No, this is the most sound dude you'll ever meet. All right. Um, all right. These are, this is a three pound weight. Which of you think you're stronger? I feel like, 
I don't know, man. I don't want to say it. I feel like you guys are both equally strong. I'm just going to give you the three-pound weight because you're on staff and I can make you. Yeah. <laughs> so how it, can you lift this weight? Can you curl it? No, he, you, you know, no, no. You're three-pound. Don't try to offload your burdens. <laughs> try to, how does it feel? It's good. It's good. Is that heavy? How many think you could carry a three-pound weight? <laughs> Raise hands are down. I don't want any part of this. Okay. All right, so that's not too bad, right? Okay, these are two and a half pound weights. I just got these from Todd, by the way. He's like, hey, you want some weights? If you ever like linger by Todd's car, he has something in there he's trying to get rid of. So if you're interested, linger a little. How's that? Two and a half pound. Is that pretty good? Feel good? Can you lift that? Okay, cool. I just want you guys to stand up here. All right, just kind of pull them out to your side. Just kind of hold them out to your side. How hard is that? Is that too hard? Put them down. Pull them out. All right, stay there. All right. I want to read to you a passage, and no, you're just going to stay there. You're just going to be obedient and compliant. If your friends are walking by and they ask, what's going on at this church? Just tell them people who sinned a lot during the week have to do penance up front like this, okay? Romans, Romans 7, starting in verse 7. I'm just going to read this passage. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, don't covet. But sin, hamartia, sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. You guys doing okay? They're doing good. These guys are fine. Let's give them a hand. They're doing good. These guys are fine. They're doing great. For sin, seizing the opportunity, verse 11, afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And although the commandment put me to death, I'm sorry, through the commandment. So then the law, the law, this is the Mosaic law, God's to the Torah. The law is holy. That's set apart. It's set apart. It's different. It's of God. The commandment is holy. It's right, righteous, and good. There's no problem with the law. The law is a good thing. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know now that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. How you guys doing? Good? They're doing, they're doing really well. As it, as it is, no longer myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature or in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. I find this law at work. And here's the law. Here's the principle. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war. So there's the law that is God's law. It's good. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's, 
it's a guide, it's instruction, it tells us about God, but there's this other law that's waging war in Paul individually and in humanity collectively. And this is the law that makes us a prisoner to the law of sin that works within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then verse 25, a breath of fresh air. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. A couple more verses, guys. You got this. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, or in my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now I'm going to sneak in a chat. Are you preaching next week? Taylor's preaching next week. Don't. (laughs) He's preaching chapter eight. I'm going to sneak into chapter eight for just three verses and I'm getting out of there. Uh, Arms up. Come on now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I want to check in with these guys. All right, okay, his hands are down. I didn't say you could do that. Okay. How do you feel? There's a burn. There's a burn. George, come over here, you, you little stinker. Come here, you poor guy. What am I doing? How do you feel? It's burning, yeah. Okay, all right. He still feels good. Okay, we're going to keep him up here for a minute. Let's see who's stronger. So, the, he's out. All right, give him a hand. You got give him a hand. Give him a hand. You can put those weights down right there or whatever. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> no. he's preaching next weekend, so I don't know what kind of sadistic contraption he's going to come up with. These are not heavy weights. These are not difficult. This is light. You grab it, you pick it up. I think anyone in here could handle this. I mean, even, even little Chloe could probably handle this one, right? I think so. Chloe Cox over there, what a, what a doll. It's not that heavy. It's not that big. It's not that burdensome. But then you carry it and you hold it. And day after day, that's two, it's two and a half pounds. It's three pounds. It's not a big deal. Some of you have come from places where, to use a spiritual term, you've had a gnarly background. You have experienced the 100-pound weight that you have watched sink you in life. And you've experienced freedom in Christ from that. And you look at that and go, that was a really dark, painful, hopeless time. And I've experienced the freedom and truth. But there's something that happens, and I want to talk for a minute to those of you who are followers of Jesus. And I know there are folks here that are on a journey. You're, you're thinking about looking over the fence at this whole Jesus-following thing, seeing what's it all about, how weird indeed are they, is it true, is there something more to this life, and I encourage you, stay on that journey, pursue those deep questions. But for those of you that have been compelled and inspired and called by Jesus, there's something that we do, I do it, and I know you do it because I know people. We have little things, and I said at the beginning, little lies, labels, and overturned laws. They're not that heavy. They're actually easy to call, oh, that's just how my arm feels. It's not that bad. And then months turn into years, turn into decades, turn into lifetimes, where you have been carrying something that is not yours, and it is exhausting. And after enough time, it's paralyzing even. It's painful, the pain you saw and probably felt, even though George said he felt good, 
I don't believe it, although he's a mentally strong person, and Taylor, probably mentally, I don't know. Are you as strong as him? He had a heavier weight. But you feel it, and it's there. I just want you to think about that for a minute. So what is Paul of Tarsus doing in this chapter? First of all, we should never read the Bible by a chapter. That's a ridiculous way to read a letter. It's a dumb way to watch a movie. Let's watch one scene at a time, and then next week we'll watch another scene I get it. It's a problem. This letter is meant to be written, read all together, all at once. And the original audience would have experienced it that way. They would have known from chapter one, the depths of sin and rebellion and the corruption and pain that we feel in our world and cry out, experiencing even today. They would have experienced that. They would have walked through the whole conversation up until this moment. And they would have gone into chapter eight, which is why I did that. So here's what I want to do two illustrations for what I think how Paul is thinking about the law, this thing, the Mosaic law, and him, sin, and Christ. Okay, so here's two illustrations. What is he not saying? He is not saying, and he's at pains to make this clear, God's law is not bad. God did not provide us with something just to trip us up. It's a good, holy pure, wonderful law. It provides guidance and shalom and all kinds of good things. But there's something else that has infected it. The problem that the law is addressing is so sticky and dark that it nullifies the effectiveness of the law itself. It's so bad. It's like I was working in some doing some demo for our backyard during spring break and I borrowed my buddy's jackhammer and I'm jackhammering and I'm jackhammering and the cement was such a problem and it, finally I jackhammered through it and I'm terrible at these things and the jackhammer got stuck in the cement I had to borrow another buddy's jackhammer to get the first jackhammer out right like very embarrassing moment but the, the problem was so significant that it made the tool I was using no longer effective, although it was a good tool. I'll give you one more illustration. It's a little more visceral, so I apologize. Uh, I was, when I was dating Bray, I was dog-sitting. Her and her family were away on a vacation, and I was dog-sitting their dog, Brown Dog, who is no longer with us. He was a good dog. Very lazy. Smelled bad, but a good dog. And I didn't know this, but my father-in-law had just changed his food. You know when you do that for a dog, it's kind of like rolling the dice, like this is probably going to be not a beautiful outcome for a little while. So he had just changed the dog food, and I didn't know anything about dog portions. I just didn't. I didn't know that you can't give him a whole lot. You got to give him like one or two scoops. So I went there. I'm like, I'm going to be that nice, fun, beloved boyfriend who's going to provide a lot of food for the dog. And so I just piled that dish so high. I'm like, brown dog, you know who loves you. You know who loves you. James loves you. And I left it and I went about my life. And I came back to check in that night. Horrible things had happened in that house. Unspeakable things. I'm talking about a constellation of just pools all throughout the carpeted living room and into the dining room. And I panicked. Like, this is my one thing they've given me so far as a boyfriend that's kind of in the family a little bit. They've given me one, one responsibility, and I have already blown it. And so 
it was a real deep issue. It was a, I spent two hours there late at night by myself dealing with this and ran out of things. There was towels. There were towels in the closet and I had to use the towels. Now those towels were good towels, clean towels. They smell fresh, fabric softener was using by my mother-in-law, just beautiful. Those towels addressed a problem that was so severe and so deep and so disgusting that those were no longer useful towels. They were infected by the problem that they were attempting to solve or address to, okay? So there's your illustration. I hope you don't wake up at three in the morning thinking about that part of the message, but it just kept coming to me, so I thought I'd share it. This is sort of like one of the dimensions of Paul's discourse on the law. He's saying the law is itself good, but there's a problem with humanity that's so much deeper that even as the law applies to it, it gets overwhelmed by this puddles of sin, which sin is just, by the way, it's rebellion, it's, it's, idol it's making things outside of God's intention. It's all the hatred, all the oppression, all the self indulgence all the just junk of this world, and it's affected it. So that's one illustration. The second illustration for what he's doing, and then I'm done with the professorial part. Uh, this comes from a related passage. Paul, uh, Todd actually mentioned it briefly, but it's how does Paul of Tarsus understand the law? So in the passage of this letter to Philippians, which isn't on your sticker, and it's not even, I don't know, it's in the Bible, though. It's a letter to Roman Philippi, and he gives actually one of the few autobiographical insights into his own story. We're a church that loves story. If you come here on Easter Sunday or a lot of weeks, we have time for stories. And here's a moment where you actually catch a glimpse of Paul's story. And you get a sense of how he saw his life. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. I'll jump into verse 4, the middle of it. Um, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, here's what he means. If anyone thinks they can brag about how, what a good boy or good girl they are, or what an accomplished man or woman they are, or what an just awesome citizen and representative of God they are, if anyone thinks they could do that, he says, I, I have all the more reason. I could brag far more than they can about those kinds of things. And he goes on, and what he's about to list off may seem strange to us, but it would be like a list of the greatest accomplishments in our particular world today, maybe. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Weird detail, thanks a lot for bragging about that one. But in his, in, uh, in his context growing up in, as a um, Second Temple Jew, this was really important. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So his bloodline was impeccable. He comes from real good pedigree, real good stock. In regard to the law, that is the law he's talking about in Romans 7, the law of Moses, in regards to keeping that law, I was blameless. I'm sorry, I was a Pharisee. In other words, I was like a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, when it comes to keeping that law. As for zeal, passion, not just talk, but action, I was persecuting the church. So before he encountered Christ, he thought, literally, he thought that the church, 
that Jesus' people were one of the biggest threats to God's will. He thought he was doing God's work. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. So he crushed it. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them scubala. Everyone say scubala. Scubala. Really own it. Really own it. Scubala. It means rubbish is one way to translate it. Garbage, that's a real flaky translation. Thanks, NIV, garbage. Scubala, well, you know what scubala means. It was what I was dealing with, with brown dog. I consider all those accomplishments, all those great things I did, all of that self-actualized accomplishment, all that stuff was scubala. How could you say that, Paul? It was all good things you did, except for persecuting the church that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he goes on. In other words, his point is this. All that stuff I was doing, climbing those ladders, checking the boxes, crushing it, getting my resume completely exemplary, getting all the promotions, the respect, the honor, the position, the place, all that I did here was the problem with it. It was this. It's that once I encountered Christ, I couldn't go back. Oh man, I can't go back. It was so good. So true, so real, so beautiful. And so all these other things in comparison, they paled in comparison. This is kind of his, his argument. This is kind of his, his discussion. Once he discovered Christ, he realized that all this other stuff it had an expiration date on it, a timestamp. Um, how many of you get pedicures? I've gotten pedicure with my wife before. Don't get a pedicure? It's actually a delightful experience. Dudes, I know some of you are a little weird about it, but it's a delightful experience. Pamper yourself once in a while. Get a pedicure. Treat yourself right. And my wife and I got a pedicure one time, and I, it was wonderful. I haven't done it since, but it was wonderful. And afterwards, they give you those little flip-flops. You know those little flip-flops? Anyone know what I'm talking about? All right, those flip-flops, they're wonderful little flip-flops, right? You put them out to the car and you kind of walk. I didn't paint my nails, but I wanted the flip-flops anyway. Because I'm like, she gets flip-flops, I want flip-flops. And so you water those flip-flops. What's the purpose of those flip-flops? Protect your toes, get you to the car, right? And if I said, okay, I now want to hike the Appalachian Trail in the flip-flops. Right? I want to run the LA Marathon in the flip-flops. You realize, like, no, 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 no. These are not, this is not what these are here to do. These are temporary. These serve a purpose, and that purpose is served, and that's it. You, you throw them away, or I guess throw them away. Recycle them. I don't know. Make some art. Do something. But that's not their purpose. And I think to understand what Paul's doing with the law here, it's a similar thing where he's saying this mosaic law. It served a purpose. It was a good thing. But once I saw Christ, I realized, oh, my word, I see where this is going. And I don't need to go back to the flip-flops. Even though some people are sometimes tempted because they feel so good and they were given for free and they're wonderful and you had them for so long, you had an attachment to them. He says, no. No, there's something so much better now. All right, there's my professorial thing where I kind of walked you through those pieces. I want to talk now and transition to you and to me. 
Because I don't know that many of you are struggling with keeping the Mosaic law. I don't think you wake up in the morning and go, how do I keep Torah? Am I eating kosher? Have I been sure and avoided unclean things today? Like very few of you are doing that. I don't think that's the major problem. In Paul's communities, that would be more of a challenge for, based on their background. But I know that I know that I know that many of you are walking around holding these lies, labels, or overturned laws that you've just called your own, you've become so comfortable with, so familiar with, that you just carry them. And again, I don't care if you're 17 or 77. I don't care if you're brand new on the walk with Jesus or you've been following Jesus for decades. Like there are things that we're carrying, lies and labels. We gave you a half sheet of paper, a half sheet of paper that I just thought, or you could use your booklets. We're really pushing those booklets, really pushing them. And you could use those. But I wrote down like for me, what are some of the lies, labels, or overturned laws that I find myself living to? So I'm gonna be a little raw, okay? Is that okay with everyone? I'm wearing OP shorts, so you already see my like mid-thigh, so everything's okay. I could be vulnerable. I'm gonna read a few. And we're gonna give some time for you to think about your own. Some lies, labels, and overturned laws. Here's one that I live to. The law of scarcity the law of scarcity. Will there be enough? Is there enough? What if I run out? I mean, that's a powerful law. That is a demanding overlord when you live in this space according to the law of scarcity. Will there be enough time? Will there be enough money? And it can make us make decisions. And it could just rob the beauty of the existential moment that we inhabit right now. When that law is just a weight you've been kind of carrying. It's a beautiful day. It's so wonderful. What if the real estate market goes upside down? What if my 401k doesn't get to where I need it to by the time I need it to? The law of scarcity. Here's another one. This one's weird, but it's very vulnerable. I'm being real with you. The law or lie of the dark stalking cloak of death. There's a weird one. I have this thing, and it's, I've, I've actually had people pray for me on it, and I've had some really beautiful breakthrough, but I think about death a lot, not with a morbid curiosity, but with a sense of like an hourglass. Like I think about the weeks and days like an hourglass running out. Well, there goes another day. I'll never get that day back again, and there's only so many left. I don't know how many, but I know it's less than before. Some of us live in that. I'm not going to ask for hands because I don't want you to feel obligated, but maybe heart hands, right? How many of you, you think about that? And maybe as you get older, you think about it a little bit more. How many more Christmases will I have? What if this is it? What if the next doctor's appointment, they call me back and they say, I, wanna, I just want to look at something again, and they call me back again, and I realize... There it is, the beginning of the end, right? This is a law and a, and a lie, quite frankly, that can haunt us. I've actually, I do something every morning. I go in the water in the ocean, as Bill and 
Luke, no, because I'm out in front of their house, weirdly. Uh, I, I'll surf for half an hour. Before I go in the ocean, I actually repeat this thing I prayerfully wrote up. Okay, here it is. I am an eternal being. I am living forever. There is no scarcity of time. There is no shortage of money. My creator has set me free, and I am free indeed. Free to be playfully present in the day before me. It's something I say, and I'm even saying it right now. It's this reminder of truth. It's like, no, lie. Stupid lie that says you're, this is all, you're mortal. It's you're dying. This is all, it's going downhill. It's like, no, I refuse. Every morning I have to do it. It wasn't one laying on of hands and it's gone. I'm feeling good now. It's something every morning, but it's powerful and it's beautiful reminder. Do you want Zoe Ionios, eternal life, full life, true life, to be playfully present in the morning, in the moment? That's one, a law of guilt, being a bad little boy. I don't know why. Law of guilt. Just, ah, I'm just, ah, I'm kind of bad. The law of good performance. This might be one, some of you, I got a whole bundle, I'm a big fat mess here, right? The, like, I need to change churches. These pastors have problems. They all do. Some are just better at hiding it than others. The law of good performance. This is true. I mean, even as I prep for a sermon, I'll be real vulnerable. Sometimes I'm thinking to myself, I hope people get a glass of cold water in the name of Jesus on a hot day. I hope they get refreshment and encouragement. I hope some people that are seeking through eternal thoughts or they're thinking about philosophy and life and considering Jesus, sometimes I think to myself, I hope that they encounter Jesus today and their whole worldview and world is just radically refreshed and changed. And then there are some times where I think, I hope I do a good job. I hope people like it. I hope they laugh at my jokes. Well, I always kind of hope that. So that's, that's okay. Right? But it's a law of good performance. Am I doing a good job? Tell me I'm doing good. Tell me, please. The law of fixing all the relational problems around me. This is specific to me, maybe, but I feel a weird sense when there's tension or conflict. I want to somehow resolve it for everybody. The law of fixing all the relational problems around me. That's a weight, man. That's a weight that's, I am not Jesus. I have a mustache, not a beard. Clue number one, I am not Jesus. But sometimes I want to function like I am God incarnate, fixing the problems. Well, what if this, or let's get these people talking and how can we do that? And some of that's good, some of that's wonderful, but the weight to carry is crippling and I'm done with it, I'm tired of it, okay? The law of looking good. We all mostly in this, especially in, on the West Coast here, in the beach cities, we do think about image a lot. I don't think it's wrong. I mean, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, we wash our clothes, like, that's good. Please keep thinking about image on some of these issues. But sometimes that, that question of like, am I good looking? Am I, do I have a lure still? Do I still got it? That could be a law we live to. And we look in the mirror and we see it through that lens and it's a crippling lens and it's a destructive voice and it's doing absolutely, it's absolutely ravaging the hearts and mental health of a whole generation. And it's a weird law. The law of parental perfection. Oh boy, there's one. I was a great parent, you guys. I was so good. I crushed it, man. When my kids were like two, you know, two and 
five. I was so good. You need advice? Come talk to me and Bray. We're going to advise you. We're going to be like, this is what you got to do. You just got to get them on the kid's Bible. You got to make sure to set boundaries and encourage them. That's all you got to do. And then my kids got, you know, my daughter turned 12, going on 13. I don't know what I am doing. I have zero clue. I'm scared and I'm alone and no one is helping. No, I, I, I have some great people in my life. But one of the reasons I wanted to come to the River Church of the South Bay way back when was because I watched Todd and Denise raise their kids and I go, yeah, they're not perfect people, but darn it, they've done a good job. I just want to be around them. One of the things I love about this church, and I'll talk to parents now, especially if you have little ones and you crush it at parenting, you will soon uncrush when you get, your kids get a little older, you'll be a terrible parent for a while. Just, I don't know, you'll feel like it at least, is I love being in an intergenerational church where I can talk to people that have been down that road and can go, oh, sweetie, yep. When I said that, when I just said that teenage thing, I looked at a bunch of heads nod and go, yeah, oh yeah, you've been there, you know that. I didn't. I thought it was great. Right? But there is a law. There's a keep the front up. Keep it alive. I'm a good parent. I'm so good. My kids listen so, ooh, they didn't listen good. Ooh, they publicly said something mean to me. Ooh, they don't want to be seen with me right now? Why not? I'm wearing a Sands Casino hat and OP shorts. Who wouldn't want to be seen with that? You suddenly realize that law can crush you and still the joy of parenting, and still the joy of relating to your kid because you're trying to be perfect. This is the last lie and biggest lie that I, I put on here is God is just disappointed. He's just kind of disappointed. When he thinks about you, he's like, yeah, I love him. But I, don't, I don't like him, you know. He's okay, but I am a little disappointed. Like when I see Jesus, the first thing that I'm going to encounter is sort of a list of things. Like, well, what, what happened on this day? Let's talk about that for a little bit. All right, then uh, scroll to page four. All right, now, what did you, why'd you say that? How dare you? And, and it's this weird lie that everything I read in scripture tells me God loves us so much that he would jump into the, that problem that the law didn't solve, that problem that humans could definitely not solve for themselves. Jesus Christ, God came downstairs himself to solve. That's how much he loves us. But for some reason, I feel like God doesn't really like me all, the, all that much. Or God's a little bit disappointed in me. And that's a lie and a law that I carry that I need to shred, man. I need to shred. So this morning, um, I entitled this sermon, Jesus Shreds. And we brought a shredder down. But it doesn't work because the power is great, but it's just not enough power. Shredders take a lot of power, I'm learning. I learned these things, but it's an object lesson. <laughs> what I was hoping we would do is that you would literally write some things down and then just like shred them. And I don't know, what time is it? Does anyone have a time clock on? What am I doing, Bill? 51? All right. I don't even know what time we're supposed to go till, but I was thinking like, it might be encouraging for a minute. Not a, no elaboration, no like backstory, let me tell you the story real quick. Four, four years ago, none of that. Just straight up, like what if we had some people just come up here real quick? What are the laws, lies, or labels you live under? Just so we know we're not alone in this and we could together say, we're shredding this thing. So let's just, I'm gonna, I'll have the microphone. Would some people just come up here, a couple of you, staff even, I'll seed the audience. Staff, you must come up or you're not getting your paycheck. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, no. But just anyone, let's, what are some of the lies you have? I shared you a list of mine. What are some of the things that we live under? I think it would be encouraging to hear different generations and genders and folks at different walks of life to hear that we're not alone. So I'm just going to kind of do that. Maybe put on a little bit of a little instrumental light music. 
And I'm just gonna have the I'm gonna have the microphone right here, and I want to encourage you if you would be so bold. And this might totally blow. Uh, no, that's a bad word. Blow up, and it might bomb. But I don't care. I'm just gonna try it. I'm gonna leave the mic right here, and I just want to invite you to come up for the next five minutes and just share what is one of the lies for you, laws, and then we're gonna shred that thing. We'll throw it in the trash can because we don't have a shredder that works. But I'm gonna sit this right here. So let's hear some of those. Let's hear some people. Yes. So set it right here. Microphone's right there. Let's, let's just do it. What are the lies lost? Um, a label for me it would be divorcee. We were just talking about this uh, this weekend, but just that um, I'm not loved by my father because of father wounds or, you know, Jesus Christ, the father, um, as a lie. I wrote all this down before James even shared his, but uh, label of a good boy. And with John, we were talking about the prodigal son and the older brother and which one we identified with the most. And I definitely identified with the older brother, the judge, the self-righteous. I was raised in a family of control and shame and guilt. I became a good boy. And ironically, I became a good pastor. And so I identify with the older brother, but in reality, I know that I identify with the prodigal son. They're both inside of me. So I deal with that inner critic. And I've learned how to lie and learn how to hide and learn how to make it look good on the outside. But in losing my wife two years ago, it flayed me, it opened me up. It's given me the opportunity to look at those labels and those lies and slowly but surely begin to open them up and be more vulnerable, be more honest, and uh, be with you. I think so many of these labels, outdated laws. Uh, I think one of the things that they all kind of fall under a category of is self-deception. That's so easy for us to have these things in our lives, things that we've grown up with or we think we know. And all this introspection, James, you talked about, I think a lot of it, self-deception will lead us to the root of these things.
struggle with uh, mental illness, anxiety, depression, and therefore I'm never enough. I'm just never enough. And struggle with feeling like I, I just need to have all the answers to everything, you know, and I don't. So. A reoccurring lie for me that's uh, deeply internalized is I'm not anybody unless I'm being one of the best, uh, which is, I guess, a competitive spin on the good little boy version. It's be good and specifically be one of the best, be impressive, stand out. And if not, then who am I? Um, but thanks be to God and Jesus. Yeah. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? From these lies, laws, labels. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this morning we're done. Thank you so much, those of you who shared and those of you that uh, listened and reflected and even wrote some things out. And I wanna encourage you, we, we have some communion over here and it's a little wafer 
representing the body of Christ given for us to solve that problem, to reunite us with God. And the grape juice represents the blood given to us. That's how costly overturning those lies, laws, and labels. That's how costly it was. And, um, and if you so would like to, you've written down maybe a couple of those laws. I wish the shredder was working, but it isn't. <laughs> throw it in the trash. No one's digging through that thing. Throw it in the trash. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's been paid for. It's not yours. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have rescued us from the heavyweights and the small weights. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has just never stepped over and fully entrusted themselves to you and said, yes, I'm in. And God, this morning might be an opportunity. We love you. We just thank you for freedom to be playfully present in the day before us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have the little light music playing here. The communion's over there if you'd uh, like to partake. And uh, the shredder's not working, but the trash can is. So thanks again for sharing this morning. And may you walk lighter this week. God bless you all. Thank you.